Hello, uh, Life Completers. Welcome to the Killing Sin training video. Uh, this is how we're going to be training for the foreseeable future. But I wanted to get on video specifically the Killing Sin training. It is vital to what we do. And uh, I just want to read scripture. There's a million different places that I could turn to to talk about this subject, but. One of my favorites to introduce it is Revelation chapter 21, when it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there sh shall there be mourning, or crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I love this scripture. What does it say it happens at the very end? This is the end of the story. This hasn't happened yet. This is in our future in Christ. It says, a holy city, and I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Adorned how? This city is going to be a city of holiness, perfection, and it's going to be filled with God's presence. It's going to be filled with God's people living in God's land under his rule and blessing. And so this city is ad adorned with holiness. So are God's people to be transformed perfectly into the image of Jesus. And we will represent him fully. And how do we pre prepare for that day? We prepare by doing that now, getting sin out of our lives and helping our Brothers and sisters in Christ get sin out of their lives so that we are adorned for that day. And I want to zoom out for a second. I want to, the big picture, the big story of the Bible is I believe uh, we have a king. Uh, this king has people. This king has land. And the people live under his rule and under his blessing. So at the very beginning, we have a king. We have God as the king of the universe. He creates a people for himself, and he puts them in his land, Eden. And they live under his rule and under his blessing. And as we know, we are corrupt with sin. They fell into the temptation that Satan brought them, and they perverted God's image. They distorted God's image in them. They didn't lose it. But they lost a relationship with him, ushering death into God's perfect world. And all of this story is God making covenants, making promises to do what? To restore himself as king over a people, Christians, people who come to faith in Christ, who then will live one day in his land under his rule and under his blessing. And we get to experience part of those Blessings now in Christ to live under his rule and blessing, but one day in his land. And so, since we're all corrupt with sin, what do we do? How do we spend our lives? The greatest thing we can do is, is to get rid of our sin, to kill our sin, and then to help others do so in the way that God has taught us. And so, I'm going to share my screen with you. I'm going to explain the Killing Sin document. And I also want to explain how to make this live in uh, the life of your life group. And so this prepares you for the moment. We're asking an accountability for people to confess sin. Let's not be caught off guard when they do confess sin, even big sins. Uh, we, can, we have to do better than just saying thank you for sharing that with us. And now I'll pray for you and hold you accountable. It is those things. There is so much more. When the people of our groups confess sin to us, they're inviting us into an area of vulnerability, but also 
a, a way that they are not like Jesus. They have admitted it, and we need to help them grow into, into the likeness of Jesus for God's glory. Okay, so I'm going to share my screen, and we're going to walk through this Killing Sin document. All right. So my favorite uh, verse in the Bible, yes, this, I said that, I say my favorite a lot, you know that about me already, but uh, Revelation 21 is like one of my favorite verses always. What gets to the heart of killing sin immediately has to be Romans 8.13. It's an amazing verse, so let's look at it together. For if you, so conditional statement, if you live according to the flesh, which is your sinful nature, you will die. And this die is not physical death. In the Greek, it's, it is clearly speaking about eternal separation from God, hell. So if you live giving yourself to your sin, you will die eternally. But thank God for that word in here. If conditional statement, but if by the Spirit, I'm going to highlight this, you, I'm going to bold this, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So you have a conditional promise, but if, and here's the promise if you do the thing, you will live. So what is it the thing that we are commanded to do? We are to put to death our sin. You see this you right here? Who's commanded to do this? Who is the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul commanding to kill sin? Each individual Christian. How? Look at the highlighted section. By the Spirit. I love this verse. It's telling us to, to do something that we don't have the power to do. It requires a miracle of grace. It requires the very activity of God himself inside of us. But the promise on the other side is life. And if you've heard me teach this before, um, it is kind of a shtick of mine um, because I think it is central to life in Christ. And, and um, I can say so many things about that. But again, you've heard me say, who, who, who is Paul writing to? Who is his audience? Well, you can uh, look back at Romans 1 to look at who he's writing to, but Romans 8.1 tells us the immediate context of this chapter is, therefore now, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> okay, so he's talking to people who are not condemned and saying to them, you will be condemned if you live according to your flesh. Now, why is he doing that? He is confirming in their mind that there is a certainty of a connection between those who have no condemnation, Christians, those are people who come to faith in Christ, and those who put to death their sin. So it's ordinary, normal Christianity to put to death your sin. Not to be sinless in this life, that will happen when we meet Jesus face to face. But there is a real sense in which we will sin less as we grow older in Christ. So let's talk about that. I love this. One of the most helpful uh, books. I want you to know and grow more competent in your Christian life and confident on how to do this by the Spirit so that God gets all the glory and we get none of it. Uh, and that it's a reality in your life for you to, to live in the reality of the gospel, um, I want that true for you. And then I want you to be able to help others like this. This is Life Group at its best when we are helping people kill their sin and that we're killing our own by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for our sanctification, for our good. John Owen, best book out there on this, The Mortification of Sin. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And he's talking about eternally, yes. But also, Owen also says the, the amount of strength, comfort, vigor, 
um, peace that the Christian has is directly tied to killing sin. The more a Christian does this, the more peace, joy, happiness, contentment they'll have in their lives. A lot of things hinge on this, and we need to make it normal speech in, in, in our ordinary language, in our ordinary life group leading, in our ordinary care for our own souls and for uh, the uh, sinner saints in our group. And then I put this, okay, just to get the big picture again, the goal of Christian life is to be like Jesus. The main thing keeping you and me from that is our sin. So I'm going to walk through this. Just beware that point one and two are going to be the bulk, like 75, 80% of this video, because we just can't, I'm, I'm increasingly, the more that I uh, disciple people, the more that I counsel people, the more that I care for souls, uh, the more I'm convinced we cannot skip step one in killing sin, which is pray. And that has two points. Pray for repentance, pray in repentance, and then pray for help. We can't start down this path of killing sin without asking God to forgive us. It starts there. Just think about um, John the Baptist and what he came on the scene saying. His message was repent and that someone greater than him was coming. And we all know that to be Jesus. And so when Jesus breaks on the scene and he breaks out in ministry, what is his message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Listen, if the son of God has come and his first message is repentance and, and when his disciples ask him how to pray, uh, he includes, forgive me of my debts, and our daily prayers, this is how we're to pray, for forgiveness of our sins. It ought to be a headliner in the Christian's lives. And I'm convinced, utterly convinced, this is not something that is commonplace. It's not something Christians do regularly. And Jesus says do it daily. And so in our ministering, we can't go to the deeper things. That's always um, the facade. The, the, what are, what are, repentance is the deeper thing, the turning from sin, the constant turning from sin from the heart to God, uh, to the living God, to his will and his ways is everything. Everything. The eternity hinges upon repentance, but so does the health, the strength, the vigor, the peace, the comfort of the uh, Christian in their uh, earthly lives. And so here's the, here's the verse, okay? All right. First John 1, 8, and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So what's sin is common in the Christian. We all have it. Of course we do. If Jesus tells us we need to pray for repentance, forgiveness every day, so don't deceive yourself. You are a sinner. So am I. And the truth, the truth would not be in us if we said that. But here we go. Here we go. If, if conditional, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So it says of God that he forgives sins through his son, Jesus Christ, right here. He, God, is faithful. And just to forgive us of our sins. And we learn in First John that we have an advocate before, before God, the Father, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. You guys know the gospel. But here's the good news that you, I want you to bring to your group. And, and here's the truth that you come to it. And so here's, how, here's the practical. So you break off guys with guys, girls with girls, and you, you talk about sin. Here's the first question that I ask. When sin is confessed, I will thank them for it, opening their hearts and their lives in the group, and you should too. But here's the first question. is not, hey, I'll hold you accountable. Um, how would you like me to hold you accountable? Or can I pray for you? The first question is, have you repented? Now, I've told my guys that I'm not, I don't want to be the one that asks this question every time. I invite the group to ask each other. And in fact, I don't ever really want to be the person because I want 
them to learn how to step into that awkwardness and minister to others. So this is a way to start training disciplers, maybe future life group leaders right away in your group to say, hey, guys, I'm not going to be the one. I literally said, I expect you, one of you, to ask, have you repented? And so it's good to be asked that. And depending on what the answer is, it can go one of two different ways. Um, I want to say, if, if the person says, no, I haven't repented, I want to say to them, we're not going to make things awkward and make them repent right there in front of everyone. That would be weird. If they, if they want to do that, they can, and I wouldn't stop them. But I want that to be a private moment between them and God. And so what I say uh, to them, if they say, no, I actually haven't repented of this yet, I'll say, before you go to bed tonight, get alone with God and um, ask him to forgive you of your sin. He wants to. And, and say the verse, open the Bible to the verse. It says right here, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness. That's good news. And that's how I would handle that if they say no. Now, if they say yes, I will jump to this question right here. How long did it take you to repent? Why would I ask that? Isn't it enough that they've repented? Well, it is. That is enough. But I also know something about you. I also know something about the people in your group because I know me. And I know our first parents. We all hide from God like Adam and Eve. We all try to cover our own guilt and shame like Adam and Eve. And just like them, God is always right there when he comes and he says, Adam, where are you? Uh, he's inviting Adam to come and confess. God is a gracious and merciful God. He is a just and holy God and a righteous God who will demand a reckoning for every sin committed. And every sin will be paid for either by Jesus, his son, or by the person who committed the sins. But he's also gentle and lowly of heart. He invites sinners to come. Why did Jesus come to the earth? He said, I've come for the sick. The healthy don't need a doctor. He's talking about the Pharisees who think they're healthy, but they are sick too. He said, I've come for the sick. He, he knows we're sick. He knows we're sick with the disease of sin, and he's inviting us into his peace, into his forgiveness, into his joy. But it's a way for me to start discipling. It's a way for you to start discipling if, if they say, well, it took me a couple weeks. Because if I know I've been there, come on, I'm a sinner. So if I sin, I, I guarantee there's a self-righteous, there's a Pharisee in all of us that wants to just start reading your Bible or completely hiding from God, not reading your Bible, but then putting on the fig leaves, making my own clothes. Well, I'll just start reading my Bible again, being a, being a good Christian, whatever, tighten down, uh, tighten everything down, and then I'll come to God and ask for forgiveness. That is a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel and our response to it. We're invited to come in our disease of sin, in our mess of sin. Isn't this... Good news that we have such a good God who knows us fully and invites us completely to accept his forgiveness of sins at any time. And again, we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. We believe as soon as you, we believe that the Bible teaches that as soon as you repent of sin, the first time your past, present, future sins are forgiven. So that when you die, you will be dressed in robes of Christ's own righteousness. But the best analogy I have for this is, um, that's just like my two daughters always being in my family, no matter what sins they commit in the future, I, don't, I do care, but they will not be kicked out of my family. They're always gonna be my daughters. They'll always be welcomed in my home. But if they completely rebel, they never repent of their sins, they never, they always rebel. They always do what they're told not to. That will hurt our relationship. And so <laughs> we're never kicked out of God's family. Jesus doesn't lose one that is his. But we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can quench the activity of God in our lives. We can stop seeing God move in our hearts and 
and use us for his glory. And we know that God in his grace will overcome us and get us back on the path. But don't we want to join God? Don't we want to have clean consciences? Don't, I mean, Psalm 32 says that unconfessed sin is like decay to our bones. Unconfessed sin kills us. And Owen says it's like a dark cloud that intercepts the, the beams of, of God's light and forgiveness and righteousness into our lives. It's the dark cloud that blocks all the good and communion with God from our lives. Don't we want to remove that dark cloud through the pathway of repentance? So I want to see how long, because I want to minister to them and I want to, I want to disciple them and shorten the amount of time. Don't we all want to get to the place where when we sin, we repent right away? And so that's what I'm after. And then you're going to get this sometimes too, okay? Um, you're going to get this, yes, I've been repenting for years um, and nothing's changing. So this is just the way that I am. I want you to be ready for this up here. So if you get this, here's, here's my thesis, okay? I believe that when we have long-lasting sin in our lives and there's long-lasting sin in the lives of people and they say, yeah, I've been repenting, nothing's changing. I believe they love that sin. I believe you love your sin. How do I know this? I know this from personal experience. And then I found it in God's word. And it made total sense to me in my own fight against sin. So Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Okay, so King David writing this, and I believe this is true. We, we have a very patient and loving God. God is, is concerned about our individual actions and our behavior, our sinful actions. But do you know what he's more concerned about? He's concerned about our hearts. He's concerned about our hearts being transformed into the image of Jesus, that our desires are different. So here's how this looks like, okay? Here's what this practically looks like. I believe that God will be patient with us until we realize that we love our sin and we, can, and we repent of the love of our sin. And we ask God to help us to not love our sin. And we can have more than one emotion towards um, something in our lives. Let me, let me make it very practical. Someone that might, let's just use alcoholism as, as a thing. So someone might genuinely hate. They might be a Christian, and now they're, they were uh, a drunk before they became a Christian, and now they're a Christian, and now they're fighting that. Okay? That's going to be a real battle them or drug addicts, whatever, like a real addiction. Okay. And that person probably hates, he's going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit towards his drinking, his drug usage. Um, and he's going to repent and he's going to confess and all of this. But if this person can't get out and they constantly fall, I believe that there is part of their heart that actually loves that sin, that doesn't want to let it go let's go with something smaller and so so we ask people i would I, I i would ask this in the group is it possible that you might love your sin and and someone might immediately say no way you're crazy this might be don't press that too far in the group because you don't want to get in an argument but this might be a, a breakfast a, a lunch a dinner a coffee a one-on-one -on -one later to unpack a little because let's even go with anger. Let's say someone that um, they're just, they fly off the handle at their kids and their wife, and they just feel so remorseful, so sorry, and they ask for God's help, and, and they're saying, God's not helping me. Here's a thesis. I believe that they might genuinely hate it afterwards because they're dealing with the, they probably hate the feelings of guilt and remorse. But I bet they love that in some small, wicked way. Because they love what comes with it, how they get what they want. They get the obedience. They get the submission. They use it as a weapon, and they actually lean on it like a crutch, and they part of their hearts. We're sinners. When, when Jesus says we're sick, we're sick. We're sick. We have a disease. And the, and the more that we own that in the group and just say, like, 
hey, my heart is dark and it's desperately wicked, shouldn't be a major confession. That's why Jesus came. So the best of you, the best of us on this video, your heart is desperately wicked without the Lord. The only good part of the Christian is Jesus. It's not us. And so let's take down those facades. Let's, let's be humans. You know, I love Spurgeon. Uh, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That is right. We are no better than each other. So it shouldn't be a major confession to say, I actually love sin. And then you're at the heart of it. Then the instruction is to say, confess to God your love for your sin and ask for help. And I believe God will not delay in granting that help. I've experienced it in my own life. And then when I came across uh, this verse, boy, things just fell into place. Okay, so you get it. Okay, and that's one half. That's how we become a Christian. Repentance. You can't start fighting sin till you repent of your sin and you know Jesus. You can't, as a Christian, fight your sin without repentance. This cannot be overemphasized enough, and we need to learn how to get it into our lives. But point two of that is pray for help. So, and I believe it, it needs to happen in this order. We need to understand repentance and what it is and our love for sin. And then we learn how to pray for help in the middle of temptation before it becomes sin. And we're asking, we need to ask those kind of questions. Did you pray for God's help before you gave into temptation? Here's the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we all have that switch that we can see the way out and we close our eyes because we want to sin. But in our fight against sin, we need to teach repentance. We need to say, okay, we need to start flexing the muscle of praying for help in the moment of temptation and looking for that escape. Okay. John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And to that, I say, amen. So this cannot be overemphasized enough. It is where we start in a fight against sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, and in his kindness leads us to repentance. So it's the activity of the Spirit, because remember, we're talking about by the Spirit. Repentance is the movement of the Spirit of God in a man. And we need to ask for the Spirit to do this through prayer. Then secondly, I told you, point one and two are long, and I'll, I'll go very fast through point three, and four, and five. So dwell on the things of the spirit, which is the word of God. Why would, why Matt, would you not just say the word of God? Well, I'm trying to use the language of the Holy Spirit himself when he wrote through the pen of Paul in Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So listen, this is pretty simple, right? For those who live according to sin, their flesh, they set their minds on sin. Alcoholics think about drinking. And people that are angry are thinking about what they're not getting or what they want. It makes them angry. They set their mind on those things. They're not thinking about the Bible or Jesus. They're thinking about what they want, and they're angry that they're not getting it. But for those who want to live by the Spirit, if you want to fight, if you want to learn how to kill your sin by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit says, hey, just think about what I think about. Think about what I've written. And, and there's one other place in uh, the Bible that talks about the things of the Spirit. It's talking about the Bible. And so in Romans 8, 5, that, become, that, that verse comes before 13. He's, he's preparing us to, for the battle. And so there's three points to this that I want to uh, talk about and and. I ingrain these in my accountability times in different ways. I don't always bring up all of these, but when the situation is right, I'll instruct or remind on what the word of God is and to dwell on the word of God in the midst of um, battling sin. The first thing is what the word is. What is the word? The word of God is the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6, 17. So 
if, if we're talking about killing sin, because that's what Romans 8.13 is talking about, and it's saying kill it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then, and then the Holy Spirit says in another place in the Bible, hey, my sword, my killing agent is the, the word. We have to pay attention to that. That's how he kills it. So we have to be people of the Bible. The people that we are discipling have to be people of the Bible, not just readers of literature, where we are a people of one book first and foremost. And it, it has to be the priority. Disciples of Jesus are disciples of the word. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So how are we to be made in his image? It's through God's word. We cannot divorce the activity of the spirit from the things of the spirit, the word of God, which is the killing agent of sin. What else does the word tell us? It tells us who we are. I'm actually going to start down here with this one. I should have listed this one first. We are children of God. Who are we? So we fight sin. Guess what verse comes after Romans 8.13? Romans 8, 14, mind blowing, right? But what does that say? For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So how do we kill sin? The next verse says you kill sin by the spirit, by being his children. So as you fight, you remember who you are, Christian. You're a son or you're a daughter of the most high God. And he's given you power to kill your sins. So some people need to be reminded who they are, who, what the things of the spirit, the word of God tells us who we are. We are children of God. Amen. What else does it tell us? It tells us that we are dead to sin. It's just one of my favorite topics in the Bible. I, I, it does it to me every time. It puts fire in my bones. What Jesus has done for us, how beautiful is he? How beautiful is our Lord and what he has done for us? Do we believe the Bible when we read it? Do we believe the Romans 6, 11, that whole chapter? You need to, like, if you're Romans 6, 1 through 14, let's go. That is a chapter of the Bible that we need to know very well in our fight against sin. But in verse 11, very pointedly, it says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin <laughs> and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you know that you are dead to sin? Do you know that? Do you believe that? It's so hard. What is the work of the believer? What is the work of the Christian? John uh, 6 tells us, and Jesus has asked that question. He said, the work of the believer is to believe in the one whom he has sent. Him. It's so hard to believe. I don't, it's so hard. It just seems unfathomable. I can't say that word ever correctly, so I should stop trying. But it just seems crazy to think these things and to believe them, but it's true. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Before you became a Christian, you had no power over sin. You were, you were its slave. You were a slave to sin. And when, it, when you come to Christ, here's what he does. Here's what he does. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. Jesus Christ, there is no more hell for us because Jesus, when he was suspended on that cross, he took the wrath of God. He took the penalty of sin. He became our substitute. He took our sin. He took our wrath. He took our death. He hung between heaven and earth to mediate a new covenant between God and man where we could be forgiven of our sins by the payment of his innocent blood in our place for our sin. Praise be to God that the penalty of our sin is canceled. Like, where's John Rodriguez? Like, we need to have a worship service about this. You don't want to hear me sing. But Jesus, Jesus not only saves us from the penalty of sin, he saves us from the power of sin. He cancels the power of sin in our lives so that we are free. Do we believe that? Hebrews tells us that, that to um, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. It doesn't, no, that doesn't contradict. It just says that we're free in, from our sin, but it can entangle us. We can get very tripped up. We can get very tied down. We allow it to have power over us by our love of it and our habit of it. 
is sin deceives us and it hardens us. It, it, it can ruin your conscience. It can, it can do all kinds of nasty, gnarly things to you. But the truth is, in Christ, he's canceled the power of sin. And one day, just for fun, nothing in there. And it's true. He will one day remove us from the presence of sin in heaven. But until that day, we need to fight sin by the sword of the Spirit so that the Spirit of God is the one doing the killing. And here's the, the action step. So, well, first, before I do the action step, I will remind people. Sometimes they need to rem remember that um, they're dead to sin. That when they talk defeated in your group, they're like, I can't change this. This is who I am. Well, if they're a Christian, the truth is they're dead to sin. And we need to start believing that. And they need to be challenged to believe that, that the penalty is gone, the power is gone. And that one day the presence of sin will be gone and we need to fall in line with God's will for our lives to fight that and not give up. Because a lot of people feel ready to give up. And they don't know how to unlock and untie the knot of their own soul with their sins. This is so, so important. So important. I hope you give yourself to the study of these things, the application of these things to help yourself and the people in your group. And then sometimes they need to be reminded that they're a son of God, son or daughter of God, that they're alive to God. So depending on the situation, I will, I will um, remind them of those things, not all of them and all in the same evening, um, but space them out and you'll be discipling that discipling them on how to think. So the action step though, that you take with the very practical step that you take with in your group is memorize a specific verse or verses dealing with a particular sin. So I have anger as an example. Um, so you ask if somebody confesses the sin of anger in your group, I've done this where I say, okay, do you know a verse in the Bible about anger? And if that person said no, and they did, I asked the whole group, does anyone know a verse about anger? And here's the one that came out of my group, James 1, 19 through 20. And so here's what I said. We're all going to memorize this verse. Memorize each other's verses. So then when you do hold accountable, because again, I want to reiterate, we do thank them for sharing their sin. We do pray for them. We do hold them accountable, but we have to do more than that. But in holding them accountable, isn't it wiser to speak in the language of the Bible to them? So instead of saying, hey, did you blow your lid on your wife and your kids? I will say, hey, were you slow to anger this week? Is there any part of the week where you were quick to anger? And that's going to call in to memory this verse. And it's helpful. That is helpful to the Christian. Okay, and... and you know, Piper calls these fighter verses, fighter verses, you know, and we all know how Jesus defeated the temptations of the enemy in the desert. He quoted three scriptures for all three temptations, you know, and the old adage, if Jesus needed to do that, how much more to, that we do? And, and it's an adage for a reason, because it's true. We need the word of God to dwell richly in us. We need to go directly at, we need to have fighter verses to fight by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the things of the Spirit, through the Word and through prayer and repentance. Now, you can see this, this whole thing here. You can even play it out in different categories. I'll let you look that over. Now, uh, number three, we're going to speed up. Okay, so number three is have faith. Okay, so <laughs> the tagline that I always use, uh, it's supposed to be provocative. You know, the Bible is not enough. And that even makes me nervous when I think, say things like that. But the truth is, it will not be effective in anyone's life. The Bible is the Bible. It's objective truth. Whatever it talks about, it's true. And it's sufficient for life and godliness. It's given to us by God himself through the Holy Spirit, through the pen of different men writing the Bible. And it is sufficient in and of itself, but it doesn't apply to us if we don't have faith. And so Galatians 3, 5, 5, uh, Galatians 3, 5 says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How does God do this? Does he do it by self-righteous action, which is works of the law? Or is this a faith fight? Is this a fight of faith? And so, again, I think Piper is very helpful here when he talks about 
when he when he uh, talks about this verse and he says it's like plug and outlet. He's talking about killing sin. He's talking about plug and outlet. So you got to think if your phone is dead, you need both the outlet with the power, and then you need a way to get that power into your phone to charge your phone. And so that the the, the outlet and the cord is necessary. When you put the two together, there is power to charge your phone. It's the same thing with the Spirit. Again, backing up, Romans 8, 13. How, how do we put to death sins by the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit works by the Word and with faith together. Boom. That is His power to kill sin in our lives. So it is us knowing what God says and putting our staking our lives on it, relying upon it, leaning on it more than anything else. And... Um, you know, someone will say in your group, I want you to be prepared for this. Look at this question here. What if you don't have faith? What if, what if I don't have faith? I don't have faith. I don't have faith. I don't have faith. Well, we have an answer for that. The Holy Spirit anticipated that question, and he answers it when he says this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you don't have faith, get yourself in the Bible. People don't like that answer. It's a circular answer. But guess what? It's, it is the answer. And we should be unapologetic about that. If you want faith, you focus on uh, what the Spirit of God says in the Scriptures. And He gives faith. He gives faith. And so uh, those two go together. And, and I think you can trace every sin back down to a faith issue. You have fundamentally mistrusted something God has said. And we need to measure our actions versus what God has said and, and learn how to rely upon the word of God. Now, step four is my favorite step. Savor Jesus, delight in Jesus, love Jesus, whatever you want to say here. I savor Jesus, Second Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. I love this. I love this. I love this. This word beholding means contemplating. Beholding, just think beholding. You're, you're focused, you're fixated on what? The glory of the Lord. Now, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> How are we transformed in our lives? How are we being transformed? Which is passive, by the way. It's this work of the spirit. We're not doing the transforming. We're being transformed. But here's our action. Behold the glory of the Lord. Contemplate. You focus on Jesus. Delight your soul in Jesus. And here's what will happen. The Holy Spirit will kill sin and he'll transform you. What's the same image? It's, it's Jesus. We, we contemplate who Jesus is and when he does that, the Holy Spirit supernaturally transforms us into his image. <laughs> Where is John Rodriguez? We need, we need to worship. Like I'm ready to go. Let's, I want to burst in song. And it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful what the Lord has done and how he's done it. And, and for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I mean, come on. It's all right here. And so the secret here, the secret to killing sin is to be delighted in Jesus. If you're filled up with Jesus, there is less room in your heart for delighting in sin. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And uh, again, uh, what is a practical example of that? Well, like, let's go back to anger because that was our illustration, right? So as this, this, this man confessed his sin of anger to me, I want to take that all the way through. Let's memorize some verses, but now let's focus on Jesus because, because of 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's find a pathway to Jesus here and a truth about Jesus that, that, uh, that makes sense. And so there are many things you could, you could think about here. Here's what I think of. Jesus calmed the raging storm with a word. You know, remember when he walked on the, the water? And he could do the same for you. So if he spoke peace over the wind and the waves, if he's in control, well, he's our creator. So he can speak peace into us. And he has that kind of power. So I love focusing on Jesus having that kind of power and asking. That turns into a prayer even. That turns into a prayer even of how of how to focus in on um, 
focus in on the Lord and who he is and how, uh, what he has done and how he wants to work on our lives. And here's another verse to it I love. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Because when you delight in Jesus, we just talked about this, when you contemplate his glory, when you think about him, he transforms you. He transforms you, which means your heart, which means your desires. So he has to transform your desires and then he gives you what you want. <laughs> I love it. I love it because he and, and what he wants for us is better than what we want for ourselves. What we want naturally is corrupt and it's diseased with sin. So we ought to want this. And so what's the secret here? What's the secret? And what is the joy of fighting sin is delighting, communing with God. We get to do that. We're invited into that. The, the curtain has been torn in two. Jesus has granted us access to God. And the more we delight in him, the more we'll become like him and the less we will sin. And lastly, kill sin at Redeemer Church. What's the point of this? It's a community project. Killing sin is a community project. It's, the command is yours, but we can do that better when we're in community. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this to you from uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. I believe this is talking about what John talks about in John 1. Uh, Jesus, who, who's come, bringing grace and truth. The grace of God has appeared. I think grace is a person more than it is a thing. I believe grace, the grace of God is Jesus. What did he bring with him? Salvation for all people, as we know, who believe. And then what does the grace of God do? It trains us. It is training us, present, continuous, ongoing. Training us, keyword to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So it doesn't say uh, it trains you or me. It says us. It's about the church. What is, what is Jesus doing? He, he, he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. A people. Not just not just a person, a people, for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Think about it. When the grace of God has brought salvation to you, you know what gives you strength? This is, and this is life group. And, and, and this is how I use this one to kind of coax out and coach for those. If you're having lame accountability times and um, people are not confessing sin or they're confessing uh, really safe sins. And you can just tell they're not really being honest with, with how they're going about um, getting after the real things in their lives. This is how I go about it to say your sin will grow in the dark. Your sin, you need the church. This is a community project. God is trying to give you the grace of brothers who will stand by you and give you strength and to help you. Cause you know what? You know what is uh, gives strength to the Christian is when there's a group of people together saying no to what God hates. With your, if you're with a group of people that all hate what God hates and you're, and you're together, you find strength in that. When you don't have that, it just doesn't seem as serious. And the same is true for saying yes to what God loves is this we need each other to say no to what god hates and we find strength in that we need each other to say yes to what god loves and he's commanded us to the righteous life that he's called us to in christ jesus so this is the way i encourage to say if you really want to grow this is the way to do it and so i added this step many of you probably don't even know this one i added that because i i um I just felt like it was really missing. Now, the list of killing sin could be 100 steps by the power of the Spirit, but uh, it's certainly not less than these things, but it certainly is a subject that could be studied more. And so I just added this portion. It's more than killing sin because I want us to 
live, you know, uh, self-controlled, upright, godly lives. And so I'm just saying that the whole point of the Christian life is not killing sin only. It's in the way. Sin is in the way to commune with God and um, see this right here, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Listen, God has a plan for our lives. You know what keeps us um, from living that completely? It's sin. You know what kept Moses from the promised land? His sin. So I, I don't want sin to keep us from things that God has planned for us. And so that's the point of that. And and to, and to frame it correctly, because killing sin is not the sum total of the Christian life, but I think it's the key component keeping us from the Christian life, which is commune with God and to do his will. <laughs> I mean, that, that's it. That's Christian life. Love Jesus. Love people. And so I want us to do that together. And so I hope you've been helped by this. I hope that you absorb this. I hope that you watch this a lot. I hope that you get this in your bones. I hope that you uh, live this out and then you seek to, for God to use you and your, your outworking of this to, to help others with, with um, fighting sin in their own lives. And so, listen, God loves you and so do I. Let me pray for you. And, uh, yeah, God, thank you so much for this time uh, that they've spent watching this training video. I pray that uh, you help us kill our sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. May all the life completers um, lead out on this and help us to incorporate this into our groups and help it. God, just help. I want the body of Christ to know what to do with their sin. God, I want everyone in our church to know when they sin what to do next to repent, to pray for help, to dwell on the Bible, to memorize the Bible, know who they are in Christ, to know the killing agent of the Spirit, to have faith in you and your word, to delight in Jesus, and to, to make it a community project. Oh, Lord, we need you. May your Spirit mightily move in our hearts, and may you mightily move in our groups. To your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.